So I'm very excited about what I'm going to be talking about today. I don't even feel like it's it's preaching because of where I am. So it's more of a time of teaching and sharing and just observations. But I was convicted a lot by this. It's nothing new, uh, but at times we've got to bring it back and say, what are, what do we really focus on and how does that affect me? And God calls us to a, a greater walk, a more focused walk. And what does that look like? And what are some of the dangers? But I want to start out with a question today, kind of maybe get it started. Have you ever said no to a supervisor? And I'm not saying no to something that is uh, immoral or something that is illegal. Just, yeah, you didn't really want to do it or your attitude was bad. And from that went on to kind of ignoring your boss. Um, how did that go? How did that, how did that work out? When we start to forget who is in charge and how does that affect our attitude and our way forward? And uh, I'll give you another quick example. Uh, my younger son played a lot of baseball over the summer. Even with COVID, we were able to get in um, about 80 plus games. Uh, we played all over Montana. We played um, in Denver and had a great time down in Arizona. And all through these games, I watched the interaction between uh, the coach and the kids. And I saw the kids that really focused in on him, really listened to them, and did what they said and how they just exploded in, in greatness at times. I also saw the kids who would rather play in the dirt and uh, – poke each other and play around with each other and forget about the coach. And they tended to stagnate, if not go down on this. And one thing that I really appreciated was at the very end, the coaches all got together and they pulled these kids in one at a time and just do an evaluation on them. And they would tell them what their strengths were, what their weaknesses were, where they see them in the program and what they needed to do to improve over the uh, winter time. And I see some kids who really took that to heart. You know, they understood, hey, the coaches are talking to me. This is important. I've got to really absorb this. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the other ones who just kind of blow them off and do their own thing. The ones that are improving are the ones that are out there daily lifting weights. They're focused on baseball. They're passionate for the game. And it just, it doesn't get tiring for them. They just love it over and over and over, even more and more and more. And they recognize every time they call the coach and talk to the coach, hey, this is important. This is, this is valuable. And I want to get better and better and better at this. And I see that also in the verses that we're going to be talking about and just our deep desire to grow spiritually our deep desire to be able to focus on Christ and say what he is saying is more important than anything and anybody. And I have a passion to follow him and not only recognizing who he is, recognizing his authority and what he says is good and valuable, but taking that and moving on it. And what I call is 
It's the right focus and feet. And if you could walk away just remembering those two words, focus and feet, it can change your life in this. It helps us to understand who we are focusing on is very, very valuable. And not only just understanding that, but moving on it and doing something with it that we are called. So if we say we are followers of Christ and want to grow in spiritual, in spiritual, uh, spiritually, we need to take the right focus and effort on our part. Today we're going to read John 4, 43 through 54, and see a powerful person in the grips of fear and desperation who finds clarity and hope through Christ, and he is a changed man through this. I'm convinced of it. As we look at the story, I want us to see how the man responds and what he focuses on. This is needed especially for today for people who call themselves Christian. It's a challenge to take our belief further, and it's a challenge to the church as a whole. And honestly, through all this, I've been convicted. Let's read John 4, 43 through 54. After the two days, he departed from Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own town. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Canaan in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum, where <clears throat> excuse me, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my son dies. Jesus said, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them at the hour when he began to feel better. And he said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, fever left him. Father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's, let's look quickly at the setting that we see Jesus in. This is, this is fascinating. Jesus comes to Galilee, and the text says they welcomed him because they had seen him, seen what he had done at the Feast of Jerusalem. However, in verse 44, it states what's going on behind the welcome. It says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. What does that mean? Uh, have you ever grown up in a town, left, and then come back, and people see you still at that same age that you left, and they can't get it out of your mind, can't get it out of their mind? In their mind, you're still that young kid running around. Um, so 
that's that honor of what you have done, uh, maybe they don't see. And in Jesus, he knew this and was recognizing this. Jesus recognized that he was not truly welcomed for who he is, but for what he did. He is received, but not honored. And there's a difference in that. You can receive someone and not honor them and not be honored for who they truly are. And that's what was happening with Jesus. They're more interested in the signs and miracles than trusting who he actually is. He is the Messiah. He's the son of God, creator of the word of the earth. But they see him as Gandalf, the great wizard, someone who does otherworldly tricks. The crowd wants to be wooed by his miracles, yet they have no interest in walking with him or believing in him for who he is. Jesus knows this and is angry. His focus, uh, or their focus is not right about who Jesus is, but what amazing miracles he can pull off. He turned water into wine. He did all these miracles. This was a fun guy to watch. You got to kind of follow this guy and, and see what's, what is he going to do next? I don't really care about what he says. Let's just see what neat stuff he's pulling out of his hat. And Jesus sees this and knows this. And even though he's calling them, follow me and believe that I'm the Messiah, they just kind of push him off and say, yeah, keep talking, but show us some miracles. Suddenly in verse 46, a new person appears in the story. Not just any person, but the text tells us he's an official. Many theologians believe he was an official in the courts of Herod, of Antipas, ruler of Galilee. He looks at Jesus and asks him to come and heal his child who is desperately, deathly sick. Imagine the risk this man, this official, is taking in speaking to Jesus and requesting his help. He is a man of power and, and wealth, yet he's asking Jesus for help. No doubt the official had heard of the miracles or maybe even seen the miracles Jesus had performed, yet it was still risky for him to go and talk with Jesus and, and ask him to be really um, subservient in some sense to this man that others are blowing off. He's taking a great risk. Some of these risks he's taking is, he's honestly, he's looking, he, he has the potential of looking like a fool before his contemporaries. He is being very vulnerable. He is just grasping for anything to help with his child. And imagine if it didn't work. Imagine everybody who heard him, heard his request, and his son had died. What would they think of him? This was an official, a man of great wealth and power and prestige. He could look like a fool before his contemporaries. Two, he could lose power and influence and even his job. His credibility and reputation was at stake through this request. And honestly, he was putting his family at risk. This was a shame-based society. And if it didn't work out, he would be remembered forever for what he did. So this official was laying everything on the line. And I wonder at, at times how much are we willing to lay out on the line in following Christ? What does that look like in our own life? Are we really willing to, in some cases, be ridiculed? 
Are we willing to um, be called into uh, a situation where you know is not uh, in following of Christ's words and having to be able to have the strength and say, no, I'm not, I'm not going there. It's because of who Jesus is that I do what's right. And he's taking this great step of risk to do it. He took this risk because he was focused on who Jesus was. Jesus makes a strong um, condemning statement to people who are listening when he says this, unless you see the signs and wonders, you do not believe. And if you look at the original languages on that, you is plural. So he's speaking to the whole audience. It's not one singular person. It's as if you're in a group and he reaches, looks out and he says, you, you all, everybody here, this is why you're here. You're simply here to see me do signs and wonders and miracles that you don't believe. It's really a condemning statement that Jesus has. That's where his anger is coming through. If you, uh, He is telling them they are more interested in what Jesus can give them. It's like a show than believing in the Son of God and someone who is worthy of following. Have you ever been to a parade? And you know, it's loud and it's fun. I mean, it's, it's a great time. Uh, taking your kids to uh, the parade and, and what happens? People are walking down the parade and they're throwing candy and the kids just go crazy. And they're out there grabbing candy and, and they're picking it up and they're putting as much as possible into their pockets and having a great time. Uh, that's kind of what they're looking at Jesus for. Hey, throw us some candy. Throw us some miracles. Throw us some signs. This is fun. I'm not going to follow you, but, man, what you do is pretty cool. Yeah, just forget about what you say. Just give us some more candy. That's kind of what was happening at the time. But here is reason uh, for the miracles that Jesus performed. It is the main purpose of John's book. Listen to John 20, 29 through 31. This is the very center of the book. This is why this story is written down by John. So this is the theme of John and the theme of this story. Let's read. Have you believed because you have not seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what it all comes down to. The miracles were designed to showcase who Jesus was so that they would come and believe in him. And we see that and the official and his whole family is saved because of the miracles that Jesus did with their family. Jesus is calling the crowd to know he is the son of God and believe in him. This is John's focus and ours. Let's get back to the official real quick. What does Jesus say to him after he asked that Jesus to heal his son? Jesus said, go. Your son will live. Honestly, this is the greatest thing the man could have heard. 
I'm sure that everything else he forgot. As he walked down, he knew he had Jesus' word. Go, your son will live. I know we have a lot of, um, we have people in the hospital and families that are there, and it's a scary time. And it's a time where you just hope and pray that the doctor will come in and say, your relative, your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, they're fine. Take them home. And that is just a phenomenal day. Uh, but until then, it can be scary. And I know for us, our first child had RSV uh, that turned in, depending on who you talk to, turned into pneumonia. And as a newborn, uh, had it, having to take him into the hospital for over a week. And I remember one instance where, you know, alarms are going off all the time. And you're just trying to sleep. And, and a lot of times the alarms will go off and they'll come in because they've got tubes running everywhere. And the nurse will go and push the button and the alarm will go off. They knew that it was a false alarm. But one time when I was sleeping, the alarms went off and three nurses came rushing in and running and they grabbed my son and they started saying, wake up, wake up. And they started hitting his feet and they started shaking, shaking his body. And they were calling out to him to wake up, wake up. This went on for about two to three minutes. And my eyes got big. I was like, we're going to lose him right here. And then he woke up and he was, uh, he was alive. Uh, and that was huge. That was, um, as a father, uh, you can just lose it at that point. So to hear go, your son will live. Uh, is a life changer for this person. What does the official do? Look at verse 50, which says, The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went away. I love it. The, 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 to me, this whole passage can be summed up in the actions that he took in these simple four words. Went on his way. He put feet to the action. He put feet and action to the focus. This is a powerful statement, went on his way. He responded to Jesus. His faith caused him to react. He put feet to his faith. Or he put feet to his faith. True belief in Christ will cause us to move towards spiritual growth. What does that look like? What does that mean? The words are true, but what does that look like? How do we live out our belief and put feet? to our focus. How do we grow in that? Let's dive deeper. There are three things I want you to know in this and, and how to put feet to our focus. First of all, understand and know this. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. There's a, an identity that is so important to us. How we view ourselves in many ways dictates how we treat people, how we work, how we live, how we love our families. It's all centered around our identity and knowing who we are. And that self-awareness is huge. That self-awareness drives our actions. And when as Christians we know who we are in Christ, 
It's a game changer. It changes our life. So let's read Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, and it talks about who you are in Christ. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to him himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his, word, of his will, according to his purposes, which he, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the purpose to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the words of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believing in him, were sealed in the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Man, that's a great passage. It's a long passage, isn't it? And there's so much to unpack. I would challenge you and encourage you to go back and just to dive into what it says on who we are. And let me, uh, I've underlined a few, and I just want you to hear them and start your process of understanding who you are in Christ. It says, to the saints, in Christ, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You were chosen in him, and that we should be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's never, ever, ever going to let you go. You are his. And that brings so much comfort. You are his forever. Knowing who you are is vital in moving forward in our spiritual growth. It tells us that we are accepted, that we belong. We know who we are. And we don't have to reinvent ourselves every day. There's a confidence. There's a a knowing of who you are, and you don't have to reinvent yourself every day. I remember a kid who used to get on the bus, and he would change uh, his attire every day. It would be camouflage head to toe one day, and then he would be a cowboy the next day, and then he would be into goth the next day. He had no idea who he was, and that showed. But as Christians, we know that we focus on Christ, and when we focus on Christ, we know who we are, and we know that we are his. This also gives us confidence. 
Because we are children of God, we are not timid, but we are strong. We know who backs us. We know that he is always there. You are never, ever alone in any situation. Christ is always there for you. And that brings comfort. That brings uh, the ability to focus on Christ and the ability to go in the way that he wants you to go. Because we are a confident, strong group that is not timid. Second is this. Know that Jesus is calling you forward. He's calling you to do something. He has gifted you in a certain way. Uh, again, that self-awareness of I have been designed to do this. And I know that uh, Becca and those who are singing are designed by God with just incredible gifts to sing and bring glory to God through song and instrument. And they're just, they're great. Uh, stick a piano in front of me and I'm lost. It would not bring God glory. But you stick Becca there, you stick others there, and, and Sarah, they just do tremendous work for the Lord because they are gifted and they are used. They are used to bring God glory. And the neat thing is you are gifted and you are used in the exact same way. God has given you something special, something unique to be used. And that is powerful. Um, and that's what a healthy church looks like. I imagine an orchestra, if you've ever been to an orchestra, each person has their unique gift. Now imagine that same beautiful orchestra if someone from the drum set went down and grabbed a violin and the violinist grabbed a tuba and a tuba grabbed the drum. It would sound totally different in that. Three is this. Ask yourself, um, it makes us desire home. It puts us perspective. When we know who Jesus is, we know that we are doing what we are called to do. It makes us desire home even more and more and more. Finally, this. I want, to, I want you to ask this question. Under, do you understand who Jesus is and how you are moving? Do you see Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, the creator of the world? Or do you see him as a wise man who said some neat things and you should kind of incorporate that in? God is calling us to see Jesus who he is. And he's calling us to follow him. Find the right focus. Find the right movement. Focus and feet as we've seen in this. Let's pray. Father, we want to honor you and thank you for who you are, for you are the creator, you are worthy, you are sufficient for all our needs. And Lord, we just ask that we would not sit back, but we would be active out of thankfulness for you. Father, what an honor it is to be called children of God. Let us go about and do your work. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.